All right now, you're listening to the Real Texas Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Bronin, just a fed-up taxpayer, bringing you all of your Texas local and national news. Welcome to the Real Texas Radio Podcast. I am Bronin, your host. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. Or if you are just joining the program for the first time, 1,000 welcomes. Please like, follow, subscribe from whatever platform you are listening to. It really means a lot. And I'm going to get into local issues in the second half of the show. But first, I wanted to start off discussing a a documentary that I watched on Amazon Prime over the weekend. And it was about Judy Bloom. And Judy Bloom, she's got to be, she's well into her 80s. I think she's older than my grandmother. Maybe she's closer to 90. But when I was a kid, I would say in fifth grade, I remember reading, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And I know that it's considered a, a girl's book, right? And I also read Forever, which is, I would say, a young adult novel. And of course, these books were published in the, in the sixties and the seventies. And I've read some of Judy Bloom's other books as well, Summer Sisters and Wifey. I know that she's considered really a, a woman's read or a, a little girl's read. She did write the Super Fudge or the Fudge series. And I think I had some teachers who read those books to my whole class in elementary school. And and that would be milder content and blubber as well. But anyway, the documentary was very interesting. And one of the topics that came up was censorship and how Judy Bloom's books, they are still censored, I think, in some places, but particularly forever was. And in the books, she, some of them were sexually explicit. Forever was a sexually explicit book. And I remember reading that when I was, I don't know, maybe, maybe I was in sixth grade. And definitely, I I remember feeling uncomfortable. It was, I was not comfortable with sex or sexuality or anything like that when I was a kid. You know what? To be completely honest, I I, I did not like childhood. I there there are fond memories that I have from childhood, but overall, when I think back on it, it was a very uncomfortable time for me. And being a teenager was very uncomfortable. And quite frankly, I have just blocked out a lot of memories from that period. And I I really didn't start enjoying life a lot until I probably hit my mid-20s or I was approaching my mid-20s and gained a lot more autonomy over my life. But childhood, it was not a fond period. But Judy Bloom discussed, and, and she had a lot of others featured in the documentary, of course, kids who read her books, or they're adults now, many authors, uh, well-published, well-read authors who were influenced by Judy Bloom and remember her books fondly growing up. But she discussed a lot, one of the themes was how 
her books really helped a lot of younger people navigate their childhood. And something I didn't know about Judy Bloom was that she corresponded prolifically with many of her younger readers. And apparently Yale acquired her correspondence maybe 15 years ago. And so some of the documentary featured her. She went to the Yale archives and and she read over her correspondence. And some of the correspondence she remembered vividly. And some of it occurred with with another author who, to be completely honest, I didn't recognize the author, but she corresponded with her from fourth grade through, I don't know if they still correspond or keep in contact in some way, but certainly through college. And in fact, the author actually invited Judy Bloom to her college graduation. And Judy Bloom went with her husband and, and it was very touching. And you know what? Judy Bloom, she's a, she's a lefty, right? She's a progressive, but I didn't realize that she had gotten into some high profile battles about censorship over her books. And I found myself as a former English teacher, as somebody who loves to read, as somebody who knows that kids don't read anymore, as somebody who knows that as soon as you give a kid a cell phone, that you can pretty much kiss any semblance of you're going to be protecting a child from adult content. You can pretty much shove that out the window, parents, adults, whoever you are. You give your kid a cell phone. I don't care if it has parental controls. I don't care. You give a kid a phone and you know what? You pretty much introduce them into the adult world. And Judy Bloom, she had this quote. It was earlier on in the documentary. And sorry, I'm spoiling it here. I should have said that at the top of the hour. If I, I don't know if any of my listeners are Judy Bloom fans or would have an interest in something like this, but there was a quote from her. She said, a book cannot harm a child. And I know that 40 years ago or 30 years ago when she said that quote, probably 40, maybe even closer to 50 years ago when she said that quote, my little trans pony and uh, Fifi the confused dog with two different sets of genitals, I know that kind of stuff wasn't on the shelves as it is today. And yet, kids, they actually read Once Upon a Time, and there were clips of kids who were showing up to get their book signed at the bookstore, and everybody read, or not, not everybody read, but 50 years ago, a lot more people read. Of course, it was television and movies and radio, but most people, they had at least one magazine subscription coming into the house as well. I'll get off of the subject of Judy Bloom now, but I just wanted to leave on a few points that I found interesting. So it actually showed a clip from the show Crossfire, and it must have been from maybe the early 80s or the mid 80s, and it was Judy Bloom versus Pat Buchanan who he, he does very well on TV, actually. And obviously, he ran for president a long time ago, and he writes a good column, and sometimes I hear him on the radio. And I usually appreciate what he has to say, but he was, he was going after Judy Bloom about the content that she included in her books and 
asking her, well, why do you have to mention this about sex? Or why do you have to mention this about menstruation for books that are intended for a 10-year-old audience? And Pat Buchanan, obviously very skilled at debate, he was in his element. And Judy Bloom, she handled him well enough, but she commented after that she she felt unprepared to have that conversation. But if you want to hide something from a child today in 2023, put it in a book because the kid isn't going to look there because as we know, kids don't read. So I, I just think that book censorship is crazy. I, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. I don't care what content is in the book. We should be doing everything we can to promote reading and literacy among our kids because I have a feeling that it is just going to continue to fade, especially as this AI and chat GPT increasingly plays a role in our lives, which let's make no mistake about it. This chat GPT thing certainly is going to be playing an increasing role in our lives. Colleges and universities, they don't even know what to do with it yet. The software that colleges and universities use, like Turnitin.com, to detect plagiarism, it cannot detect whether or not a student has used chat GPT to write a paper or to write large chunks of a paper because the content that ChatGPT and other AI products is pumping out is actually original content. It, it's not repetitive content. It's not plagiarism. It's, it's in this gray area at the moment. And as somebody who, again, appreciates writing and reading, is ChatGPT, is, is that just going to be the natural progression? It's just going to take over all of the writing tasks that our brains normally would do? And, and brainstorming is just pretty much going to go the way of the, the record and the horse and buggy and, and everything else? Moving right along, we're going to get back to Texas-related issues. And I want to talk about the border and the situation with Title 42, which were the COVID-era restrictions that have now since lifted. And basically, the Border Patrol, they had the right, they could just turn migrants back a lot more quickly, or illegal aliens, use whatever term you want. I don't don't want to be all in on the right or certainly not in all, all the left's position on this issue because it is it's very serious and it seems like you just you, you don't know what to believe in terms of numbers right the numbers from 2022 apparently well over two million legal aliens poured over the border and went unprocessed and I hear numbers of of how many per day. It's in the thousands who were not caught by the Brandon administration. And the right will tell you that under the Trump administration, that everything was perfect at the border. There was no problem whatsoever. No fentanyl made it over the border. No illegal aliens made it over the border. Okay, that isn't the case either. But it's... the, The way that the Biden administration will have you believe it is that... Everything 
particularly on the Texas border, there are no problems. We do not have an illegal alien problem. The border is secure. We have a border czar, Kamala Harris, who never goes to the border. Brandon never goes to the border. Why would he go to the border? It's completely safe and secure. There are no problems whatsoever at the border. But... I don't think that we can argue with the number that over 2 million, well over 2 million illegal aliens came into the country just in 2022 alone. And we're, we're well on our way to that figure this year in 2023. And there are tens of millions of people who are in line from countries around the world. They have actually applied. They're going the legal route Many of them are poor, many of them, all of the reasons or excuses that you hear in the left about why the illegal aliens are coming from the southern border, all of the same excuses, the political asylum, the poverty, the economic turmoil, the family reunification, whatever. You know what? All of the people who have legally applied, they have the same reasons. They have all of those same reasons, but they're following the legal process. Now, you are listening to somebody who just followed the legal immigration process with my then fiance, now husband. We did not get an attorney. We did it on our own. And it, yeah, it was a waiting game. You know, and I understand that the fiance visa is basically the express route. It's still took well over one year and we had to pay all kinds of fees along the way in order to move the process along and anyway it it, it's still it was a lengthy process but we made sure to be able to follow that process so that we wouldn't have problems later on down the road but you cannot have this conversation with the left. Neither neither side seems to be able to have any kind of a you just cannot have a civil debate. The right wants to tell you that America is basically teetering on the edge of a cliff and if one more legal alien comes over from the southern border with Mexico, the the country is just going to fall into the ocean and it, it's just going to keep falling until it reaches hell. That's what the right wants to tell you. And then the left wants you to believe that there's absolutely no problem at all with illegal immigration. It is not a problem. It doesn't have any repercussions. There, Not one bad thing has happened from any of the illegal aliens who have come over the border. And most of them, they they just come here to get jobs and they are not a burden at all on the social safety net. How can you engage in a real solution when you have these two different attitudes? Obviously, neither side can both be 100% right, but we do, we need to get some common ground here. Can, can we all agree that you cannot have over 2 million illegal aliens pouring over the border per year? You know, you read in the history books, the the racist, horrible history books that we were all subjected to coming up through school, that the migration waves from Europe, those who came from Ireland and Italy and Germany and, and everywhere else, right? They were considered large, 
highly consequential migratory waves of people who changed the course of American history. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people over decades did that. And now we're talking about millions of people in one year. And look, I, I, I don't care about the, the racial or ethnic composition of the country. I mean, if, if you are in some kind of illusion that the, the country soon is not going to be majority minority or that the state of Texas isn't going to be majority Hispanic very soon in our lifetimes. It, and if, if you are under some illusion that, that English is not going to continue to be the first language. It, it will be for the foreseeable future. If you, once Latinos, they cross over the border, they have limited English. As soon as they have children, those children may speak Spanish. Some may speak it as well as their parents, but not as likely. And by the time you get to that third generation, those kids, you know, they might be able to talk to grandma and grandpa for, you know, they might be able to do that, but they are going to shed Spanish pretty quickly. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. Countries, most every other country on planet Earth, people just naturally, they they have to learn multiple languages. They have to become multilingual if, if they're going to be able to interact and get a job and make it along in the world. So I'm not saying it's a good thing that people should be losing Spanish, but people, they assimilate quite well in, into the U.S. for the most part. The U.S. is, some might call it, some in academia who colonize our language, they would call the U.S. a, a low-context culture as opposed to Japan, for example, which would be a very high-context culture. If you go to Japan and you want to integrate in the society, you have to speak Japanese, whereas a low-context culture like the U.S., pretty much people can do whatever they want to do. Look, I was a teacher in Texas in public school. I had students who were legal aliens, many of whom they were wonderful students, they were lovely people, and quite a few who I saw go on. I, I taught in an early college program, and they were able to get free early college. And you know what? Good for them. I applaud them, and I, I hope that they are wildly successful in their lives and uh, wonderful people. And you know what? Let's be honest. They, they came here to the U.S. when they were children. It wasn't their choice. An adult brought them here, their parent, most likely. What, what are you going to do? Kick them out? Send them back? I, I know many on the right think that's exactly what should happen. I understand that. I, I have shared on the podcast before, I, I would round up a lot of the bums. I do an exchange program. Hey, you want to send your uh, illegal aliens up this way? Well, hey, guess what? We're going to do a little trade here. But you know what? I wouldn't want to inflict on already a basket case country in in Central America, the bum population, they certainly wouldn't be able to handle it down there if if we can't seem to handle it up here. Or you know what? On the other hand, maybe they maybe they could handle it a little better. Maybe it would be a bit of a the jolt to the system that some of these bums 
need when, when they know here that there, there's enough freebies and social safety net to keep on bumming. And you know what? I, I was just having a discussion with somebody earlier today, a resident of the state of Oregon, which not too long ago decided to decriminalize drugs. And, and so basically, all, all of the, the poor people who just want to recreationally use heroin or fentanyl or, or any, or meth or, or whatever. They, you know, they just, why should you have to go to jail just because you, you, you just want to do a little recreational crack? And, and, you know, th- there's nothing wrong with that. And, th- and then you can go to work every day and just do a little uh, crack and meth beforehand. And, and, th- you know, what, wh- what's so bad about that? Well, you know, lo and behold, the homeless population is also exploding in Oregon, particularly in Portland, with all of the uh, white liberal empathy activists. Let me get back to the, the point that I wanted to make about immigration. We need to start normalizing as a country that we can have a border. That is okay. We need to stop making that a controversial statement. The United States can have a border. I don't care what happened 400 years ago. Countries throughout the world have a border. China has a border with North Korea. If you are a North Korean and you want to try to illegally cross the Chinese border, you get your head blown off and then they ask you the questions. I am certainly not suggesting that the United States adopt a similar policy, but we can have a border. The United States permits more legal immigrants to come into the country year after year after year than any country on earth. We can have a debate about whether you think that's enough, whether you think a million people per year coming into the United States legally, if, if that is enough, or whether you think we need to increase the cap or whether we need to hire more people to process immigrants at USCIS, we can have those discussions. But we we cannot just allow over 2 million illegal aliens to just come over the border, to show up in El Paso, to show up in Brownsville, to show up in McAllen, to show up all over Arizona. And, and then the, the left just says, you're not even allowed to ask a question or you're a, a racist. I mean, that is just crazy. You know, most countries have a policy where even if you're an illegal alien and you come into the country and you have a, a baby, that the baby is not a citizen of the country just because they were born on the soil. I, I'm not saying that that should be the policy either, but I am just letting you know that all kinds of, to, to use a, a hackneyed phrase, I don't like it, but rather, you know, common sense immigration policies exist throughout the world. We don't have to reinvent the wheel here. And, you know, we, we are not the only country on earth that has millions of illegal aliens trying to flood in constantly. There are many countries throughout the world that have to deal with this problem. Yes, many of them are in Europe, but they are certainly other countries as well. During the phony baloney COVID hoax 
nonsense, farce, embarrassment. Everybody, every single global leader pretty much decided that they could stop legal immigration. They could stop tourism. They could stop people with passports. They could stop people coming from first world countries into other first world countries. They had absolutely no problem for a hoax. Slamming the door shut to immigration and welding it closed. They had no problem. Not to mention the insane human rights violations that many leaders took against their own public who dealt with it. Like in France, where they they forced women in labor, women giving birth to keep a mask on, and they couldn't even breathe. Did you know that went on? Did, I'm not even going to get into that topic today before I, I'm, I'm going to end up throwing the microphone uh, out the window if I get into that subject again. But we we need to have a solution to immigration. And I, I think that we can come up with one, but we need to come to some common ground. Sorry, I'm using these uh, sickening, disgusting uh, phrases that uh, that's our phony baloney politicians like to use, but th- there's a solution to immigration. There's plenty of things that we could do quite easily in order to end this problem, or at least reduce the problem to something much more manageable. So that way, when the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, gets one bus, he doesn't uh, do a big poopy pants when he gets a bus of illegal immigrants. It doesn't overwhelm the city of New York or when they show up in Kamala Harris's neighborhood or when they show up in Chicago. The, we, we don't have all of these Democrats doing a big poopy pants. They got one bus of illegal aliens. Meanwhile, El Paso is it's basically just a migrant town, and as are so many of the towns on the Texas border. Anyway, I hope that was some food for thought. I, I know I went all over the place today. I did a bit of stream of consciousness. I went from Judy Bloom to illegal immigration, and, and chat GPT, I think, was in there too. I'm Bronin. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Real Texas Radio podcast. Like, subscribe, follow. Catch me on Twitter, RTR underscore Bronin, or Real Texas Radio podcast on Instagram.